0: What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to episode six of the Rotten Real podcast. I'm Rod Beard, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News. And this is the special trade season episode of the podcast where we're less than a week from the NBA trade deadline Mm -hmm. on February 6th. And the Pistons look to be a team that's going to be right in the middle of that. So I'll break down some of the trade options, some of the players who could be moving. And also, take a look at the rise and fall of rookie Sekou and I use fall in such a, a bland sense. It's not like he's fallen, his production has fallen a little bit, but look at some of the reasons why that's happened. Uh, also, break down the rest of the season, what that looks like after the Pistons uh, are 17 and 32 at this point, almost at the 50-game mark, almost at the All-Star break, and there's very little light that seems to be shining toward them making a playoff run this year. Uh, Though they're only a a small little, a good week away from getting back into that race, but it just doesn't seem to be moving in that direction. So what does the rest of the season hold for them? And then what next? What's the the long-term view of where this franchise is? And I got some more journalism talk on um, work-life balance and and how you make it all work. Being a sports journalist, uh, of all things, that's a little bit different than some of the other uh, areas of journalism. But I'll jump right into the trade talk and the again the trade deadline for the NBA less than a week away and the Pistons at 17 and 32 look to be a not just a seller but a multiple-piece seller uh, given what the front office has done uh, this front office has done last year and what their record kind of shows is that they have that desire to move those expiring contracts before uh, they get nothing for them in return and the Pistons this year As we've noted several times have several guys who are on expiring contracts uh most notably andre drummond and of course drummond's name has been mentioned in trade talks uh over the past few weeks most of uh, january it's been in every year probably for the past three or four years at trade deadline time his name has come up in some way shape or form as being a guy that the pistons have looked to move this year seems to be the most likely of those given that his contract is likely going to expire. It doesn't necessarily because he has that player option for twenty eight point eight million that he still could opt into and uh, maintain that kind of makes sense for all parties involved that he would opt into that uh, because a from a trade value standpoint it tells other teams that they could get him for another year uh, but they could he could also do that after he it, a trade but it sends that message that if he's opting in it's more than just a rental for these last couple of months of the season, and I think that's what scared some teams off and uh, lessened his value a little bit, or at least lessened the activity that the Pistons have gotten in some trade possibilities, is that last summer he indicated that he would consider opting out, or he would he was moving towards opting out, and uh, this would be his last season on that contract, and so it's still a mathematical uh, issue for me and trying to figure out why you wouldn't opt into $28.8 million. Uh, but the Pistons are doing their due diligence in trying to move Drummond before that decision even becomes a bigger issue for them. Now, obviously, we've heard the rumors of the Atlanta Hawks being interested, uh, and there were some reports, too, that they were looking to uh, bring Drummond in, but the issue was the extension that he would have after the trade was made, and I think that was Sean Sharania who reported that the talks broke down because the Hawks couldn't come to a, a reasonable agreement with Drummond on what the extension would be, what the terms would be of that extension. So, again, if you're asking me what the numbers look like, I would say he's somewhere in the $20 million range per year. There might be teams who are willing to pay him more when he's if he goes to free agency in the offseason, but that's still to be seen. In terms of what the Pistons have to do with that, are they willing to pay him $29 million for next year if he opts in and they don't trade him? I think that's hard to see. And we've talked about the Max, and if the Pistons were willing to offer him the Max, they already would have done it. This they, this would be an exercise in futility in doing all the rest of this stuff if they were considering paying him the Max. And I don't think there are many teams out there who would pay Drummond the Max. So right now it's trying to put a number on what his value is and what teams are willing to pay him, whether he opts in, opts out, whether he gets traded, doesn't get traded. Uh, I think that's the big key in all of this discussion. And Drummond, for what it's worth, has had a good season, but what team does he fit on? And I've, I've kind of maintained something like a structure of what Dallas has would work with a big pick-and-roll guy like a Luka Doncic and then a another outside threat like a Kristaps Porzingis that he could fit in there and just be a primary rebounder a third option second or third option depending on who's on the floor in in terms of uh, what he could do offensively and then he could settle in defensively you got uh, Przingis on the weak side you got Andreas your your main guy Uh, so Dallas seems to be a fit uh, schematically but financially doesn't seem like that's something gonna work that's gonna work for them and they've already traded for Willie Cauley Stein with Dwight Powell going out so Dallas seems to be crossed off that list. If Atlanta isn't coming to terms, that's a team that's crossed off the list. What are you left with? The uh, Knicks were a team that had some interest a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, but those talks seem to have died down a little bit. So the the market seems to be almost dry for Andre Drummond. And at this point, if you're the Pistons, you almost just take a second-round pick or whatever you can get if you're still in that mindset of unloading him before this deadline. And I think that's the, the prudent way to go. I don't know how much different it gets in the offseason if they even get to that point. If Let's say he opts in uh, because he wants to do a money grab and get that $29 million, What do you do with him at that point? You, you, do you still look at the trade market and what that can hold for you? It, it's, it really seems to me more so that the Pistons are just looking to make a deal now and start their rebuild and try to figure out what they want to do as they move into the longer term. Another name that's been out there that looks to be one that could move is Derrick Rose. And uh, the Lakers have been rumored. We've heard the Clippers are somewhere in that mix, too. There are other contenders like the Sixers. What it all comes down to is the Pistons need trade partners who have draft picks or who have young players that they covet. And doesn't necessarily have to be a marquee first-round pick type uh, deal. You can look at what they did last year with the Lakers with acquiring Spee Luke for Reggie Bullock and they got another second round pick along with that so they can get value in a young player and it doesn't have to be a former first round pick a, a marquee name a guy who's tearing up the league right now you can make subtle trades that end up working out for you and, and Spee is is just one example of that but in a Derrick Rose trade you almost have to get a first-round pick for the way that he's played. And although Rose didn't get an all-star selection this year, which is a little bit surprising, but although he didn't get that selection, uh, I think they can try to look at getting a late first-round pick. And if the reports are true, this was uh, Shams Harania uh, from The Athletic who reported that the Pistons were looking for a lottery-level first round pick in return for Derrick Rose and that's really setting the market for what the asking price is going to be. I think that's an interesting ask because you're not going to get that from a contending level team. And this is I've sort of maintained throughout the process of, of looking at trades, looking at what the Pistons might do, is that they might have to do a three team deal to really get the value that they want. And if the Rose thing is, is true and they're looking for lottery level you're not going to get it from a team that isn't going to make the playoffs. You're more likely going to have to get a three-team deal involving, let's say, the Lakers or the Clippers or somebody else and some third team that brings that pick that would come to the Pistons. Rose goes to that contending team, and then the contending team sends someone else to uh, the third team. That logically seems like how it would work out if something like that happens. But Rose having a resurgent season, averaging over 18 points a game. And back in the starting lineup, seems to be for the, the time being for the Pistons and uh, having a really good season. But again, didn't get an all-star selection for that. And that was some tough uh, selecting that the the fans had to do in their round. He was fourth in that. Uh, in the combination of fans, the media, and the players, he finished fourth overall. And Kyrie Irving uh, was in that same mix. Irving's been out for a lot of the season. So one would think that Rose would be there. And given that it's in his hometown of Chicago, that was just the emotional piece of that, too. But when you look at who was selected, that Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Kyle Lowry, there's not a lot of arguing that you can do about that, especially given the situation that Rose was in, that he didn't start for the majority of the season with the Pistons. And then just the Pistons didn't have a winning record. And that was the message that was sent for the most part with those reserves is that coaches valued winning over stats and over individual good seasons. If you look at what Zach Levine did with the Bulls, that wasn't a, a selection that was made either. He didn't make the all-star team and Bradley Beal. Outstanding numbers yet again, but when your team's not winning, your contributions aren't valued as much and your contribution to winning is is just not the same. So I, I'm not going to argue and, and, quibble with the selections, but I think the it, it's a clear message that at least the coaches who are selecting the reserves, not the fans, not the media, not anybody else, that's the clear indication is that they value that winning and your contributions to winning more than uh, inflated stats. And people will point to Trey Young and the Hawks having the worst record, and he's still getting selected as a starter, but I think, again, it, it's more of what people want to see in the fans cast their votes, and that's who they wanted to see was Trey Young. So there's no real arguing with that. But getting back to the the trade opportunities for the Pistons, Reggie Jackson is the next one. And I covered all of these in in a story that was posted on the Detroit News. Uh, So you can see all five of these trade options, and i got a couple more for you too. Reggie Jackson, I don't think, is a prime trade option because he's only been back for a handful of games, and he's not tearing it up. In his first game back, he had 20 points showed that the three-point shooting is still there i think he's over 40 percent from beyond the arc in the games that he's been back the problem is he's got 18.1 million and a team might be willing to trade with the pistons in order to get off of a longer deal and take on jackson's expiring money and that might be the best opportunity for the pistons to deal jackson if that's the direction they're looking to go another Name that you can look at is Langston Galloway on an expiring deal, $7.3 million on that one. And Galloway has proven to be pretty good in a reclamation project that many people thought that he was just going to be out of the rotation and just a, an afterthought this season. But he's been a good rotation piece and a, a very good three-point shooter at about 40%, but also a decent defender. And he hasn't looked bad when he's been on the court and having to defend bigger players. And so he's carved a niche for himself, but you can see where that backcourt is starting to get a little bit more crowded with Derrick Rose, with Jackson coming back, Svi Mihailu coming on, Bruce Brown. You, you have to split those minutes up some kind of way, and Galloway has, has done well for himself. And one would think that the Pistons could get a, a, late second, a late first round pick, maybe even an early second round if they can't get that high from a contender who needs that three-point shooting but i just don't see this front office letting the deadline pass and let some of these contracts just expire and get nothing for them the other one is luke Kennard, and he's not an expiring deal but they're going to have to pay him at some point coming up he's finishing his third season and he's had the lingering injury this year that's kept him up for almost half of the season Probably not expected back until after the All-Star break, which would be mid-February. Or actually late February, because the All-Star game is the 16th. So that would be late February that they're going to get them back. What does that even mean when they're getting them back? Because they're likely not going to be playing for a playoff spot at that point. So at that point, they're trying to gel. They're trying to play young guys. They're trying to consolidate a nucleus for next season and beyond. So what does that look like? What does the projection seem to be for Canard in terms of a contract? Are you paying him $10, $15 million a year moving forward? That's the big question. Again, what what this roster construction is going to look like after this year? And I'll get into that in a second. A couple of the guys that you can look at on the trade front is potentially Markeith Morris, who's uh, a big man who can shoot very well from the outside. He gives you a Nice power forward and a center if you need it for a couple minutes here or there. And on a value contract with a player option for next year, that uh, if if there's a team that comes calling that needs him, would you be able to give him up and get something back? Sure. Maybe not a first-round pick, but again, a young player? Possibly. So I think on on all fronts, the Pistons have to look at all of these guys as potential trade pieces. Beyond that, you've only got a couple other options, and maybe Tony Snell, who has a player option for next year, for $12 million and and I don't see him opting out of that. And uh, Christian Wood might be the only other one who would even be considered uh, a trade piece. And he would be an interesting case because of what he's been able to do from a vet minimum contract that wasn't even guaranteed for the whole year, playing well and in his last few weeks, he's been averaging in double digits, given a little bit more playing time. So would a team come calling for that? And he truly is a rental player because his contract runs out and he'll be an unrestricted free agent. So I don't know if a team is going to come and, pay and give you a, a big asset for that either. So once you start getting down to, to that level of players on the roster, you're not going to get very much in return anyway. But I think Christian Wood could would be a guy that the Pistons would consider bringing back on a significant raise and, and I don't know what the numbers could be. Uh, Five million, six, uh, six a year. Something like that would be something that I would consider reasonable uh, on both sides. But again, Christian Wood gets out on the open market, a, a big who can shoot from the outside, who plays pretty good D, and uh, can drive to the rim and create some opportunities too, given a bigger role, might be able to give you something on the right team and in the right situation. So those are the guys that you're going to want to look out for. I wanted to touch on Sekou Dumbuya a little bit, and at the beginning of the month when we were on the West Coast trip, He had the the games against the Clippers, the the Golden State Warriors, against LeBron uh, and the Lakers. There was a lot of excitement about what Sekou could do. And the thing that strikes me about him is that he's fearless. He doesn't look across and say that uh, he should be afraid of LeBron. He should be afraid of some of these top power forwards. Kevin Love, he's played well against this year. But now that he's been in the starting lineup for a spell and teams have gotten some more tape on him and they, they see what he can do, that production has gone down and for Sekou it really is a lesson in how to be a professional athlete, professional player that you've got to be prepared for all of those. Every game can't just come out and play the the tough games and the the hard opponents you got to come and play against everybody on every night and keeping that production up on a night to night to night basis is what's going to be difficult for him and and what Dwayne Casey has said a 19 year old is going to have to learn is how to bring it and how to not uh, look at the schedule and say, oh, I got this guy this night. No, every night is an opportunity. Every night you have to prove yourself. And if he's going to be the player that they think he is, he's going to have to pick some of those things up. And in fairness, let's be fair, he's only 19 years old, just turned 19 at the end of December, that he's going to learn some of these things, but it's going to matter moving forward how his demeanor is and really what lessons he starts to glean from this Iteration of the roster in this team, and I think that's very very important as we move into what the rest of this season looks like Is Sekou's development and The, the development of some of these young guys and Dwayne Casey the other day in Brooklyn said that uh, There was a possibility. He was going to send Sekou back to Grand Rapids to try to get some more confidence some more seasoning some more reps With the Pistons you don't get as many practice days, and that's important for Sekou just as much as the games are is just getting reps at doing the things that they want him to do and right now they're having to do it at the end of practice or before practice to get him that extra time and maybe even in pregame they're doing some of the the reps and the skills that they want him to work on so i think that's one of the big inhibitors of some of his development is that there just isn't enough time in the regular nba schedule with the g-league schedule their games are spread out a little bit more and there's more opportunity to do things like that so he may go back to Grand Rapids. I think it, it could help him a little bit, but playing game after game three games a week, four games a week and having very little downtime in between doesn't help his development very much. And when you look at the rest of this season, I would say uh, they're not they're four and a half games out of the, the eighth seed. They're not going to uh, blow everything out to try to make the eight seed because we, we kind of know what that looks like. That Milwaukee's sitting there probably going to have the number one overall seed in the Eastern Conference so why are you racing for the number eight seed to try to get a, another playoff spot and lose to Milwaukee again presumably and we just saw what that what, what that looked like last year. Moreover the seventh seed is only a game or two above that but still the seventh seed against Boston or, or whoever else Miami it, it doesn't look good either. And you'd much rather have that opportunity to get a high lottery pick given what your future looks like. Uh, And last year I would have said something different given that you still had guys coming back and the season that Blake Griffin was having, you had a better opportunity there. But this year, with all of these contracts expiring, with your young guys starting to come on, I think it's time to start turning the page. And again, I'll make the distinction, I'm not saying the Pistons should tank and try to get the number one uh, worst record in the league. I'm saying they should play their young guys and be able to further evaluate it. They're going to win some games just because. They're going to lose a bunch of games just because. They just don't have as much talent without Blake Griffin as some of these other teams uh, are going to have. And then looking at the rest of their schedule, they have one of the hardest remaining schedules in the league that they're just not going to be able to compete. That's just where we are with the the Pistons and their schedule that I think uh, is going to be a rebuild year. They're going to try to do it and build around Blake Griffin, but what happens, what are the other pieces with that? Do You you, you probably have to go out and get a point guard somewhere, assuming they trade Derrick Rose. And if they don't trade Rose, then that's the reason, is they want to have a point guard on the roster. And again, looking at the roster, you got uh, Tim Frazier, who's on an expiring, Derrick Rose. If he's traded, what else do you have? Well, Reggie Jackson's on an expiring too. So you would have a roster literally with no... Experienced point guards and traditional point guards. So, if you don't see Rose traded, that might be the reason why. In addition to not being able to get the value back that they would be looking for. So, point guards a thing. You've got Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown at the shooting guard spots. See, my high Luke can be a, a, a two or a three depending on how you you view him. At six foot seven, six eight, he's got the size to be a three. Uh, but he might need to get a little bit stronger to be able to defend threes. Obviously, there's Blake Griffin and. Sekou uh, Dumbuya as uh, he could play three or four moving forward for you. And then what do you do at five if Andre Drummond gets traded? You probably got uh, a Christian Wood that you could probably bring back. Again, what does that number look like? What are other teams willing to pay him? So there's a lot of uncertainty about what this roster could look like moving forward. Uh, and Thon Maker, are, are they going to make a qualifying offer for him? There's a This is the season of upheaval and uh, I, I kind of teased it last year, too, that with Josh Smith's money coming off the books and now the NBA salary cap looking a little bit more favorable than they thought it might with the China issues and, and maybe some of that revenue coming off the books, that they thought it would be a little bit lower than what it is, but it, it, it's still going to be very reasonable for the Pistons. And if they deal some of these contracts, these expiring contracts, they could be $50 million free in the cap. Uh, Just looking at Andre's 29 and Reggie Jackson's 18 plus and Galloway's, you're somewhere in the $50 million range already just with those three. So there's an opportunity in free agency if they do it responsibly. Don't go out and try to uh, blow it all in, in one or two players that they could come back with a retooled team with some young talent and some other guys to build around looking at next year. final thing I want to get into is some more of the writing piece and again there, there are any number of aspiring sports writers who have asked me to uh, give them some tips or to try to encourage them to do it and if you're any kind of journalist if you cover city council or, or the police bead or anything you're going to have some unusual hours you're going to uh, be in the office for the daytime a little bit if you're a sports writer if you're covering games more than likely you're going to be out at a game at night, and certainly in the NBA's case, three or four times a night, as I mentioned, and with the travel schedule as it is, during the season, most sports writers on, a, on an NBA beat or a, a Major League Baseball or, or hockey or whatever, you're going to be gone for a considerable part of the year, so you have to have some balance in that, and doesn't mean you have to be at every game, and I, I've said a couple of times, both on this podcast and in, in stories that I've written and people that I've talked to on other podcasts, that out of 82 games my goal is to try to make it somewhere to so let's say 70 somewhere in the high 60s because with a family with kids i want to try to be able to have some of that balance and the travel just wears on you it wears it wears and wears of staying in hotels staying on planes and again as i said in the very first podcast i, I can't complain about being a sports writer so this isn't a complaint this is more of a look behind the curtain at what goes on with sports writers that when you reach this level there's a, a lot of travel that's involved and a lot of sacrifice both for you and your family if you have one of the amount of uh, travel the amount of sacrifice that goes into it to make sure that you're available for those games so understand there's going to be some of that that you can't be successful if you only go to half of the games and uh, you miss a lot of what goes on and, and really a lot of the access and a lot of the good stuff that we get comes from the road trips because the home games are so, it's just so hard to catch up with guys after a game at home, but on the road, there's nowhere else that they're going. They're waiting to get on the team bus to go to the plane to fly back home. And so you have more of that opportunity after a road practice, after a road game to do some of that stuff. But just the, the work-life balance in that is making sure that you are uh, you have time for your family, you have time to be able to do stuff. Uh, at the In the middle of this month, Full disclosure, I was on a a cruise with my uh, family. My wife said the only thing she wanted me to do this year for her birthday was to go on a family cruise. And so just looking at the schedule, this was kind of a light spot with the road games against Atlanta and Boston that looked at it and said, hey, it's not the end of the world, but to have that balance with family and with the work stuff, sometimes you just got to take a couple of days off or a week off just to refresh. So it wasn't so much for me. It was more for family and yeah, I enjoyed the sunshine, but still glad to get back and be able to get back in the saddle and do the work stuff too. Nobody was traded. A couple of games won, a couple of games lost. You go through that during an NBA season. Baseball seasons are even more intense, twice the number of games. But if you're going to do this, you have to understand what you're getting into and some of the sacrifice that you have to make in order to do it. So that's my um, writing or or profession and occupation warning to people who are looking to get into it is that uh, it's something that you definitely have to consider, especially if you have younger kids, that that's part of the expectation is that you're gonna be gone for part of the time and, and you have to be good with that. And if you're not good with that, it, it may not be something for you. You can check out all the coverage online at DetroitNews.com, including the final days before the trade deadline and some thoughts on the all-star break as that's coming up. Again, Pistons with no selections in the All-Star game, but they will have Derrick Rose in the Skills Challenge and Speed Loop in the Rising Stars Challenge, uh, which will be on Saturday. Until then, we'll see you next time. I'm Rod Beard, out.